So at Advent, we started this incredible journey where we looked at the expectation of Jesus. We looked at the hope of Jesus. We looked at the expectation of a Messiah. And we walked for four weeks through this, through this journey, through this, through this, really this story that helps us get into that part of the season that we call Christmas. And so for so four weeks, we dove deep into the story we call Advent, the, the waiting, the expectation of the Messiah, the hope of the Messiah. And then we come to Christmas and we get this celebration. And I always encourage people, I said, think of it as a kind of a transition, as a movement. It's this walk of this story that we begin, the hope, expectation. We come to Christmas, we have the celebration of Christmas Eve and Christmas Day, the celebration of that the Messiah has come, that Emmanuel, God is with us. And we get that incredible celebration there. And then I've, I've encouraged us, I've, I've said this over and over the years, you know, don't take down your decorations. Don't just end the Christmas celebration there. Continue it on for those next couple of weeks where we get to continue to celebrate Christmas because we're celebrating celebrating the continued presence of Jesus in this world. And we continue to celebrate that the Messiah has come. And so we get to walk in that journey. We get to think about that, all of the hope, all of the expectation, and then coming to the celebration that the Messiah has come, those hopes, those promises, all of that has come and is present in the birth of Jesus. And then we continue to celebrate. How could you celebrate that in just one day? How could you not continue to celebrate the Messiah has come, Emmanuel, God is with us. And then we get to wrestle through so many pieces of that, so many aspects of that story. Each day waking up and thinking about a different part of that story and the incredible reality of it. That's when we really begin to reflect that's the opportunity then to look at our nativity to set, to think about the different characters that are present in that story. To think about Mary and Joseph, not a royal family, but a poor family running for their lives. <laughs> Having the reality of in front of them that this is the Messiah present with them, this child. We look at the, the shepherds called to come and to worship, to see what is taking place. Really the, some of the lowest of the low in society called in saying, hey, this is who's gonna come. This is who's gonna hear the story first. Continue that and we look at that reality and we celebrate that. And then what's really cool about that, as we celebrate that, we come to another story, another season. And that began yesterday with what we call epiphany. And epiphany is just this incredible celebration that we, we've gone from hope and expectation so then we come to Jesus as the Messiah born and among us. And now we come to Epiphany where we begin to talk about this idea of who Jesus is and what Jesus came to do. So I want you to think about this, that you have the hope of who Jesus will be. You have the expectation and the promises of who Jesus will be. People looking for a savior, looking for a Messiah. Then you have the celebration that yes, now we identify who the Messiah is. God among us, this baby who is born. And then at Epiphany, we begin to look ahead in the story. We look forward in the story at who this Jesus is and who he is and who he becomes and what he is going to do. So this is not the end of the Christmas season. It's a transition into the story as it continues on. The pages begin to flip. We don't forget about what came before. This is a continuation of that exciting story. Now, there are two stories that we typically go to as we celebrate Epiphany. 
Um, if you look at like a lectionary calendar, if you look at uh, the passages that churches are reading around the world throughout the season, there's a set of passages that come in on Saturday, which is the start of Epiphany. And then you have another set of passages that begin today. And so what I want to do is I want to walk a little bit through both of those. And I want to see how those two stories come together and how all of that connects and helps us to look back at the hope of the expectation, look at who Jesus is, and then see what Jesus came to do. Begin to see how all of that connects and how that changes every single one of our lives. So how we're going to do this is we're going to begin with one of the first stories uh, that we see at, at the beginning of the season. And one of these stories at the beginning is G of Jesus's ministry is as John the baptized, baptized Jesus in the Jordan River. So now we have to sort of move forward in the story, right? We're, we're all sort of in the Christmas mindset. We're sort of here at the nativity. We're still here with the, the baby Jesus, but we get to now in this story, walk and move a little bit. So I want you to imagine sort of the wipe or the transition that takes place in a movie or a story. We're gonna fast forward to this next part of the story and we're gonna see Jesus at the very beginning of his ministry, about 30 years of age, coming to the, the, the Jordan, coming to John the Baptist. And what's cool about this is, remember, we already talked about John the Baptist. We talked about the excitement of him, Jesus's cousin, also being born, coming to lead the way to Jesus. So we already have him in mind a little bit as we come here, and we get to see what happens as they encounter each other again later in life here, 30 years later coming together and, and beginning to tell the story and where this is going to go. So listen to this, Mark 1. It says, The beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. Now, this is really cool. This is just a little aside here that I think is really cool. Mark starts out, The beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah. Well, wait a minute. The beginning of the good news. Well, what about the good news of, of his birth? What about Emmanuel, God with us? What, what about all the stuff that happens in the story of Luke? Where would we be without the story of Luke, right? What about all the expectation, what about all the hope, all the stuff before that? This is one of those places that we get to see the development of the church, that we get to see as people began to tell the story of Jesus, how all of this worked out. Mark was probably the first gospel to be written. So he starts out and he, he keeps it quite short. He's kind of like a pamphlet. He starts out just the beginning of the good news. This is the beginning of the good news about Jesus. This is the start of Jesus. And what I wonder is, as people began to talk about this, they began to start when, when, when Jesus is baptized, as they begin with this story, I wonder if people are like, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Guys, there's, there's some other stories. Did you know? <laughs> did, did you know that this happened? Whoa. Wait, wait, wait. What happened? Well, well, there was this Joseph and there was this Mary. Wait, What? They go either like, well, no, 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 let's jump back. Listen, listen. And then this happened and this happened. And they're all going, wait, what? And so then you see what Luke began to write down. You see what Matthew began to write down. And so they're kind of looking at Mark and going, wow, the good news doesn't start there, my friend. Listen, I want to tell you where the good news begins. The good news starts here. But this is the first one. This is the beginning. So he says the beginning of the good news. As he understands it, the beginning starts here. About Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight paths for him. Now we heard about this before as we read about John. We saw that these words were attributed to him. And so what Mark is doing, he's doing the same thing. 
He's saying, hey, there was these understandings. There were these stories taking place about this guy named John. There were these connections to some of these hopes and expectations that were written about him. Uh, here's, what it was, here's what it said, that there would be this, this one calling in the wilderness, preparing the way for the Lord, making paths straight for him. And so then he goes on and he says, so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And again, I love this because I love as we read this to go, oh yeah, I know John the Baptist. He's Elizabeth's son. There was a promise that he would be born. Uh, she got super excited when she saw Mary because she's like, oh, look at this. We're both going to have babies and they're both huge and important and they're going to make a you know, big difference in the world. Like I know about that, right? And so you sort of see this connection of this story going back to those stories. So it goes on. It says, so John the Baptist appeared preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. The whole Judean countryside, all the people of Jerusalem went out to him confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist. He ate locusts and wild honey. Kind of go, wow, he's really attractive. I'm sure that's what brought all the people out of Jerusalem. They're like, you got to see this guy. He is snazzy. He's like, excuse me for a moment. I know I'm in the middle of my sermon. I'm going to come over here and have a little snack of some locusts, if you all don't mind. Are those live? Are they dead? Are they cooked in chocolate? I don't know. They're, we just know that they're there. Had a little dip, dip that little honey sauce, right? And he just eats that away. And people are like, all right, this is great. Why are people going out to this man? Well, because this was his message. And this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. He says, listen, hang out with me for a little while because there is somebody coming. I I'm setting up the way, okay? And this, this guy is gonna show up. And you just, you're, I, I, I gotta prepare you for him. I I'm not worthy to even untie his sandals. Say, I'm, I'm not, this reminds me, right, of like Wayne's world. I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy, right? Like, this is what he's saying. And everybody's going, who is this guy coming? What's about to happen? So everybody come out, right? Everybody's coming and going, when is this going to take place? What's going to happen here? This is such a strange moment. And it matches up with, yes, something powerful is coming. Something incredible is about to happen. This, this, this weird guy out by the river, eating locusts and honey, dressed all kinds of weird. All these prophecies and stories told about him. He is just beginning to set things up. And you don't want to miss it. You don't want to see what's good. You know, you want to see what is about to happen next. And then we get that moment. It says, at that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my son, whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. And this is an incredible moment. See, Mark does this amazing thing. He starts out the way you're supposed to write something. He, he says, this is the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the son of God. So he tells us, here's why I'm writing to you. I'm writing because I wanna tell you 
about this good news about this man. This man named Jesus who came. He is the answer to the hope, the expectations, the promises, the Messiah you have been waiting for. And then he says, and he is the son of God. And he's got the attention of everybody reading this. Everybody looks and says, whoa, whoa, this is good news. I've heard about the Messiah. I've heard about the hope. I've heard about the promises that he brings. I, 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 I want to hear more about this. Tell me more about him. And then he goes on and he says, this is this Jesus, the Messiah. And somebody says, oh, that is good news. If this is the Messiah and he has come, this is good news. And then he says, and he is the son of God. And so then we come to this part of this, this voice coming from heaven, this, this incredible, hard to even begin to imagine moment as the, the heavens are torn open, the sky is torn open, the spirit descends on him. These words, and you can imagine any voice that you want that gives power to this moment. You are my son, whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. So here in this incredible moment, Jesus identified as the son of God, just as Mark said he would be. Now we have to be careful here because it's super easy to misunderstand this. We want to be careful not to misunderstand here. This is not about Jesus's birth order. He was and is eternally coexistent with God the Father and the Holy Spirit, God three in one. Now, this is not a sermon on the Trinity. I can't even begin to get into all of that mystery because it's hard to begin to even comprehend. The best way I could even begin to talk about it was as a professor talked to us about the idea, the concept, the understanding of the Trinity, that God the Father, Jesus the Son, the Holy Spirit, God three in one is just an incredible dance that is even hard for us to even begin to comprehend. God in three, yes. God in one, yes. Love so powerful, uniting and bringing the, the three that we understand as the Godhead into one, that that love is so powerful that it overflows into creation of this world. That that uniting love is so powerful that that's what brings everything into motion. That's the only way to begin to understand that. So, so with that, I want us to think about this that this is about Jesus, that this is about Jesus coexistent with God the Father and the Holy Spirit, that this is a moment, again, not about Jesus's birth order, not about him being the son of God in birth, but this is about the revelation of Jesus's full identity, fully God and fully man that this is Mark setting down a huge statement saying the good news is that the Messiah has come. And everybody says, yes, that is good news. We have had hope. We have had expectation. We have been waiting for a savior. And then he says, guys, it's so much more powerful. I can't even begin to explain to you. He says, the Messiah is God. This Jesus is God present with us. And imagine the early followers of Jesus <laughs> as they begin to talk about the stories and they say, Emmanuel, God with us. And they say, this, this, this was part of the promises. 
This was part of the hope. This is what we saw with Joseph and Mary. Do you remember this part of the story? And they're, they're telling this and they're saying, this is so cool. This is incredible. This is, this is what's taking place here. And so they began to wrestle with what does this mean? And guys, this is our responsibility as well. This is the season that we should bring questions, that we should bring doubts. This is a season that we want to bring questions and doubts into this because along the way with those questions and doubts, we may find wonder and awe. And that's what I think is taking place in these passages. That's what I think was taking place in the early church. I don't think they were just simply accepting, oh yeah, of course, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit makes sense. No, they said, how does that make any sense? What do you mean God three and one? As they began to wrestle with that, they began to see, what does this mean? If that's who God is, well, how does that change our relationship? What does that mean for our salvation? What is that? How does all that tie together? They began to wrestle with this idea that Jesus is not just man. Jesus is fully God and fully man. How do I wrestle with that? What does that mean? That should bring some questions. If you don't have questions about how that's possible, then I'm not sure what we're doing. We should bring questions. That, well, what does that mean? What does that do? How does that impact us? And there's something so powerful about that. So they were wrestling with this. They were wrestling with it so much that early on in the life of the church, uh, they had letters that were written to all these churches trying to explain some of this stuff. One of the leaders of the early church, the apostle Paul, who started a bunch of churches, would write letters and receive letters from people because they'd be asking all kinds of questions. Like we should be asking, well, well, what about this? And what about this? And how does this tie in? And what do we do with this thing, Paul? And Paul's getting these letters back and he's sitting there and he's looking at him going, I, I don't, uh, he begins to pray about it. He begins to talk to other people. He begins to ignite it with his faith and he writes back to them, inspired by the Holy Spirit, saying, well, what about, you know, here, here's what I'm thinking and here's how this works and this is what's happening here. Some of it, he would quote songs that they had been singing. Some of it, he would quote Old Testament understanding. Some of it, he would bring new ideas into it and say, well, here's how I understand how Jesus has changed all of this for us. One of those places, writing to one of the early churches, in Colossians, we find Paul writing and talking about this definitive statement about Jesus. So again, I want you to imagine, here we are 30 years into the life of Jesus. Mark begins to make the statement about who Jesus is. Years later, gener a generation later, they are wrestling with, well, what does that mean? Who, who is this Jesus then? The Son of God? What does all of that mean? So Paul writes to this church. He says, for in Christ... All the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. For in Christ, he tells them, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. He says, all that you understand. Now, here's, here's where I think this is so important. This helps us to understand how, how do we think about God, Right? Okay, the majesty of God, all the majesty of God found in Jesus. Okay, what's another way that we think about God? We think about his love, right? His unending love, the, the love that Kurt sang about that, that runs after us. He is running after me. All of that love found in Jesus all of his grace, all of his mercy, all of his power, all of his goodness, the fullness found in Jesus. That's what Paul is talking about here. 
I don't think Paul is getting to some ontological argument about the idea of deity or the idea of Godhead. I think he's talking about the fullness of how you comprehend and understand this God. All of that is found in Jesus. Now, again, this should be hard to understand. It's not easy to understand. It's why this passage comes up year after year in this season, this idea of Mark telling us that this is the Son of God. It's important for us to wrestle with as we seek to understand the Jesus that we follow. To be honest, I'm not sure we'll ever fully grasp this mystery, right? I don't think we're ever going to fully figure this out. And I think that's good. I think we should always be asking the questions about this. But one of my favorite authors says it this way, and this has been so helpful to me. This, this simple statement changed everything for me. He said, God is like Jesus. God has always been like Jesus. There has never been a time when God was not like Jesus. And then he says this, we have not always known what God is like, but now we do. I just love this statement. I love how Brian puts this because I think it just helps us to understand all of this and put this in a way that we can comprehend it. God is like Jesus. God has always been like Jesus. There has never been a time when God was not like Jesus. We have not always known what God is like, but now we do. And that allows us to begin to make a frame of reference of how we understand our faith through the lens of Jesus. Now, I'm going to say something here. I don't want you to get me wrong here. I don't want you to think that I'm saying we should follow the Bible. But what I'm about to say, you might go, whoa, wait a minute. Sometimes what I hear people say is, well, you know, I have a biblical worldview. I don't know what that means. I have a Jesus worldview. See, because the problem is that the Bible doesn't speak in one voice. The Bible is written over thousands of years by so many different people trying to understand and comprehend faith, which what does that mean? It means I'm trying to understand who God is and God's relationship to me. And the revelation that we have, why this is called an epiphany is because in this moment, in the birth of Jesus, in the baptism of Jesus, in this, in this understanding that this is the son of God and the fullness of God is found in him, I no longer have to ask that anymore. I get to look and say that is what God is like. Somebody said, how do you know that God is love? Because I have read the stories of Jesus. How do you know that God is full of grace and mercy? Because I've read the stories of Jesus. Well, how, how do you know? How do you know that he loves everybody? Well, because I've read the stories of Jesus. I know, but reading is one thing. And I say, yeah, but I've also experienced Jesus. I've experienced his grace. I've experienced his mercy. I've experienced his love. And because of Jesus now, I know what God is like. So here, here's how I see the world. I see the world through the lens of Jesus. And that's how we should see the world. That's the only way we can see the world, through the lens of Jesus. And so through Jesus, we know that God's plan is being revealed. Through Jesus, the unfolding story that reveals God's love and plan of rescue, redemption, renewal, moves forward. So we can make this moment an epiphany. We can sit on this moment and go, now, now I know what God is like. And this is what I love about coming back to this every year, because this is what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to get through the story and come to this moment and go, 
That's what it means that Emmanuel, God is with us. We know what God is like and God is like Jesus. And you know, I was thinking about this actually this morning. I was driving up and I was thinking, and I know this is kind of weird, but this was on my mind, that, that sometimes I, I think that we get to this place and to come to that reality, to, to come to that moment, to come to that understanding, this, this incredible moment here that this is Jesus, the fullness of the grace and love and mercy of God. It's just, it's just absolutely amazing. So this moves forward. So we find ourselves understanding that this is what we're talking about. This is the epiphany. This is who God is, that this is who Jesus is. So going back to the story that we started with today, we come to this part of the epiphany. It says this, and this was John's message. Listen to this again. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. Then he goes on, he says this. He says, I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And again, this is another huge moment. This is another, this is why epiphany matters because it breaks open another idea. This significant statement revealed another part of God's incredible plan that followers of Jesus would take part in God's plan of rescue, renewal, and redemption as God's Holy Spirit worked in and through them. Now, what's important about this is I talked about it last week. Throughout the scriptures, the Holy Spirit would come upon people at specific times, specific moments, specific places to do specific things, to move the story forward, to, to bring God's grace and mercy into a moment, to do something at a specific time. This is how people understood things working, that the Holy Spirit would come upon this person in this specific moment at this specific time. So you could say the Holy Spirit came upon them. The Holy Spirit came upon that person. But John makes a massive statement he says, Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, the Messiah you've been waiting for, who is God in his fullness, dwelling among us, is going to baptize you, y'all, everyone, all people who follow him with the Holy Spirit. This would have been a huge statement to make. He says that the, the experience of the work of the Holy Spirit was and is for all people. And this would have been a huge epiphany for the people listening to John gathered by the river. This was a promise being fulfilled, a promise that had been passed down for generation after generation after generation, that when the Messiah had come, when the Messiah had come, all people would experience the Holy Spirit. Now, all is a really, really big word, isn't it? So you think about this for a second. Just, just get to imagine this. Like, this is so cool. Here we have Mark entering this story saying, hey, here's Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. He's the fullness of God, the power of God, the goodness of God, the grace, the love of mercy of God. He's worth following He's saying, you've been looking for a Messiah to come. That Messiah has come. He is the Savior. And then he says, and he's going to do something amazing. 
He said, you understood that, that God's spirit came upon specific people at specific time and specific places. He says, but this Jesus, God among us, with us, is going to pour his spirit out on all people. Which brings us to the next story about Epiphany, and then we'll close. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea. So we're backing up, so do your little bit. Uh, now that you have, now that you've kind of fast-forwarded up here, now we're going to, in this, our movie that we're creating, we're going to skip back, and we're going to go backwards in the film. So now we're going to go back to a flashback, okay? It says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose. We have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all of Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests, teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel." Then Herod called the Magi secretly. He found out from them the exact time that the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and he said, Go, search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way and the star that they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary. They bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. And now this is where all of this connects. And I promise this is all going to make sense. It's one big story taking place. Again, Matthew starts out with, well, the good news of Jesus is his baptism in the Jordan, the, rep- the, the understanding that he is the Messiah, the understanding that he has come to save, that he has come to save all, that he is going to pour his spirit on all people. Then as people began to wrestle with this understanding, as they began to wrestle with, well, what does it mean for Jesus to pour his spirit out on all people? What does it mean for that invitation to begin to go to all people? The early church began to wrestle with that, and they came to this epiphany, this conclusion, this understanding that all of us should have. Well, that all means all people. That, that he was being serious when he said all means all people. And so they begin to tell these stories. Again, they began to look back and say, well, wait a minute. Remember how this happened here and this took place here? Did you hear about this story? And somebody said, well, I heard a story. I heard a story about all people. It was about these guys, not from Jerusalem, but from some country way to the east. These, these outsiders who didn't belong, uh, these kind of like scientific astrologers, they, 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 they knew about this story because of the exile, that when the Jews were in this country, and they had heard about the hopes and the expectations of Messiah. Hundreds of years had gone by. People went back to their land. But these stories, these rumors, these, these, uh, these things that they had left behind existed. And so the, this group of astrologers, these, these scientific sort of uh, people who began to look at the stars, they, they passed this down. And imagine year after year, they pass down the story of these people who used to live in their country who are now back home. And they're saying they had a a, a Messiah that they were hoping for, a Messiah that they were waiting for. 
And then one day there's a star that comes up in the sky. These guys are pouring over their papers, looking at their stuff. Again, these outsiders who don't belong. Hey, I think, I think, this, is, I think this is a sign of that Messiah. The, the, the one that they, they had talked about. And I wonder if these guys, they began to talk together and they're beginning to have a conversation about this. And one of them looks and says, we should go. One of them's like, what do you mean we should go? Well, we can't go to Jerusalem. He said, no, no, we should go. We, we should go see if this is right. I mean, we, we've been waiting for this. We've been hearing about this. We've been seeing these rumors. We should go and see if this is actually happening because what happens if this king is born? What happens if this king does come out of Jerusalem? What happens if all of a sudden this king is born? Doesn't everything change in our community and our world and everything around us? We should go. And the, the other guy who was kind of sitting back and waiting, he looks at him and he goes, yeah, we should go. Let's go, let's go see it. So they go and they head out and then they, they run into Herod. We know that Herod doesn't really have good things in mind for Jesus. We know that. That comes a little later on. But, but they meet with Herod. He says, well, you should go and you should go find him. And you should report back to me. And they say, well, yeah, let's talk about this. Should we, should we go? Yeah, we should go. Let's, go. let's go back and let's go see this Jesus. But listen what happens. Because something incredible happens in this moment as these outsiders who are going to report back who are just going to find out if this Jesus was born. Look what happens. Again, the outsiders, the people who don't belong. I love this. It says, on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary. And Matthew could have ended the story if the story had gone any other way. They came to the house. They saw the child with Mary. They could have taken their report. They could have said, okay, there was a child born. We'll go back and report this. But listen to what it says. And they bowed down and they worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures, presenting him with gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. And I just, I think this is so powerful. The guys who didn't belong, the outsiders, from some other place that come and see Jesus and they bow down and they worship. And this is how Matthew begins his good news story. See, see he, he had wrestled with other people in the early part of the church understanding that maybe all does mean all. Maybe all of these people are welcome to come and maybe even these outsiders who don't seem to belong can come and worship Jesus. The incredible thing here is the wise men responded. They changed direction. They took a different road, a different path. They left changed. And there's so many takeaways we could take from this. One of them is this. The invitation to worship is not look and see, but come and be changed. So no matter who you are, no matter where you come from, no matter how you got here, it's not look and see. It's come and be changed. And the wise men, they were open to this. The Magi were open. They came looking. They came to see. They came to see. Does this mean what we think it means? And when they got there, because they experienced the fullness of God in Jesus, they were changed. See, we understand that the fullness of God is his grace and his mercy and his love. Found in Jesus, we will be changed. Now, there are all kinds of other brushstrokes that God gets painted with 
There are then all kinds of brush strokes that Jesus gets painted with that have nothing to do with Jesus. The world has painted him in all kinds of different ways. The church has painted Jesus in all kinds of different ways. But this is the Savior, the Messiah, full of grace and love and mercy, who invites all to come and be changed. Now, we don't know what happened to the Magi, but we do know is that this story spread through the early church. We do know that the followers of Jesus told and retold this story of the unfolding story of salvation for all people. See, this is what's so cool at Epiphany, that in these moments, we see who Jesus is, what Jesus came to do. We get to wrestle with the early church of this idea that they go, yes, he is the Messiah. Yes, he came to save. Yes, he came to bring God's love and grace and mercy. And he came for all people. That epiphany sets off so much of the early church into this just absolute, just looking and going, what does this even mean? How do we do it? What do we do with this? How does this work out? So they began to wrestle with this. And then new stories were told. And that's the one that I want to close with today. This is another reading from the readings of Epiphany, and I think this is the reason that it's included. Listen to this. While Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, the Paul that wrote the letter that we read earlier, took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples. He asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Now, do you remember what John said? He said, I baptized with water. You will be baptized with the Holy Spirit, right? So Paul knows this story. He knows about this. He's experienced this. He goes through and he begins to talk to people. And he says, now, did you receive the Holy Spirit? And then listen to what these people say. And I love this. They go, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Now, friends, this is a church. This is the church in Ephesus. So next time that you go, I have no idea. I don't understand any of this church stuff. That is fine. They didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit and they were just fine. They were welcomed in the community. They were a part of the community of Jesus. So if you got questions, you're wondering, is this too dumb? They didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit. I just want to let that sink in for just a moment, okay? No, we have not even heard there's a Holy Spirit. So Paul said, how stupid are you to not know there wasn't a Holy Spirit? No, he didn't say that. He said, well, then what baptism did you receive? Well, John's baptism, they replied. Paul said, well, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. Didn't you guys read the book of Mark? Right? He told the people to believe in the one coming after him. That is in Jesus. <laughs> so he tells them the story. I just wonder if this went on. I wonder if as they're writing this, Luke is writing Acts. I wonder if he's writing this down. And he's like, okay, I got to skip this huge part because then there was a conversation. He's telling them about Mark and he's talking about Matthew. He's talking about how all this works out, how the Holy Spirit comes. He's trying to get them all into understanding this. But the bottom line is he says this. No, John was talking about Jesus. Then he looks at them and he says, let me tell you guys, don't miss this, he says. Jesus has come to bring the Holy Spirit. You may be baptized with his grace and his love and his mercy, that he, this Holy Spirit may work in and through you in changing this world for good. I'm hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them. They spoke in tongues, they prophesied, and there were about 12 men in all, he adds. Now, this, this is a significant part. 
these disciples, and I don't want you to miss this, these followers of Jesus were from Ephesus. And Ephesus was a diverse community, an incredibly diverse community. And the church that developed there came to reflect that diversity. There were Jews, there were Gentiles, they worshiped, they served, they had community together. They were the picture of what was happening as people bowed down and worshiped Jesus as that nativity. Now we know that the, the Magi came later, they, they weren't at that moment, but just for sake of this, just let's go there for a second. Imagine in that moment, got all these people coming and worshiping Jesus. The Jews who say, this is part of my story. This, is, this was the hope and the expectation we have. And somebody says, yeah, but, but he came for all people. Coming from this people, for all people, inviting everyone into this family of God. Humanity redeemed, renewed, saved, restored through Jesus. This was radical. This was inclusive. This was a reminder that Jesus had come for all people. So people look around and they go, church in Ephesus, why do you do this? How do you worship with people so different than you? And they say, because that's the story of Jesus. They, they, they say, that's, that's what we find at Epiphany. So this tradition begins to develop as the church begins to say, we should wrestle with this every single year. That he has not just come for me, He's not just come for you. He has come for all people. And as I said last week, all means all. And this didn't happen by accident. Listen to what goes on. Listen to this. When Paul placed his hands on them, this is verse six, the Holy Spirit came on them. They spoke in tongues and they prophesied. Now this language, I'm gonna be honest with you, is really hard to understand. It's being translated from Greek, it's being translated in English, language change, things get kind of weird. But if we look at the book of Acts as a whole, if we look at the city of Ephesus in particular, we begin to see what is happening in this moment. What is happening is that these men that had their hands placed on them, they receive the Holy Spirit as all people were receiving the Holy Spirit. They begin to participate in sharing God's story of rescue, renewal, redemption to their neighbors. Their neighbors in Ephesus that was one of the most diverse communities in the entire Roman Empire. And an absolute miracle takes place that is the exact same miracle that took place at Jerusalem on Pentecost they began to speak in the languages of the people around them, able to tell the story of Jesus to this community, allowing them to draw a bigger circle than just the people that they knew, but to bring everybody in to worship Jesus. The circle was able to get bigger, and they were literally able to print t-shirts that says, all means y'all, and they were able to write it in every language that all of their neighbors could see and begin to tell them about Jesus. And that is what the story of the epiphany is about. It reveals the heart of God, that all people would come and experience his love, that all of us may participate in his redemption, in his rescue, in his renewal by participating in the story of God. That is the big story that we begin to celebrate today. 
And so out of that, may we look at ourselves, may we look at those around us, may we, because now we start in this new season, may from this moment we on, not look around and say, all right, well, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, what do I say next? Well, you get to say something amazing because it's epiphany. This is even better than Merry Christmas. Can you believe that? The conservative people are gonna blow their minds when I say, don't worry about Merry Christmas. We're gonna say something even better. We're gonna say something amazing here. We get to say this. No matter who you are, no matter where you come from, you're invited to come and worship Jesus. God, we are so thankful for the good news of Jesus. We we are thankful that you have come to bring salvation to all. And on this moment, on this day, as we begin this next season, Help us to wrestle with this, to understand that all means everyone and that we have a responsibility, a call, a role to play to invite everyone we meet to come and worship Jesus. Every language, every background, every status, God, everyone, and help us to live that out. It's your name we pray. Amen.